student named Sam came into my class and he said, Dr. Z, I have the most exciting news ever. I said, tell me, tell me more. And he said, I get to go to Vatican City and I might be in a room with the Pope. And immediately every light bulb in my brain lit on fire because as a Latin teacher, how often have we always heard, so you, you, you teach Latin, who are you gonna to talk to, the Pope? I said, Sam, I took him by the shoulders and I said, Sam, you're gonna to talk to the Pope in Latin. You're gonna make our dream come true. That's Dr. Edward Zaro, Dr. Z, to his students, a Latin teacher at Westwood High School outside Boston, and the 2016 Teacher of the Year for the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages, or ACTFL. Ted holds a Ph.D. from Yale and is one of a dedicated cadre of educators who are teaching Latin to some 200,000 students nationwide. But wait, isn't Latin dead? Or is it? Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve Levine, and this is America the Bilingual, a podcast that reports on and encourages bilingualism in America. The woman you just heard is Mim Harrison, my co-host for this episode on Latin. Welcome, Mim. Thank you, Steve. I'm really glad to be here, and I'm very glad to have an opportunity to argue with you about how Latin is not dead. Mim is the editorial and brand director for the America the Bilingual Project and the author of three books on the English language. So, Mim, tell us why you're passionate about Latin. Well, Latin was the first language that I studied besides English. I took two years of it in high school as a run-up to taking French. And you know how you never forget your first love? Yes. Well, Latin is what opened my ears to other languages, and it's something I've always been grateful for, but I feel that sometimes it gets a bad rap. You mean about its being dead? Exactly. We might borrow from Mark Twain and say, reports of the death of Latin have been greatly exaggerated, as we're about to discover in our conversation with Dr. Z. We caught up with Dr. Z at the ACTFL conference in Nashville. When people find out he's a Latin teacher, and they took Latin themselves, they are full of opinions. Almost no one is neutral about their Latin experience. Mostly positive, or are they mostly negative? It all depends on the teacher. No one is in the middle uh, with Latin. Edward Zaro is known for his bow ties and great enthusiasm. Teachers like Ted are trying to make Latin hip. For example, he has had his students translate rap music into Latin. I would say that there are a lot of us now that are really trying to push for a more communicative approach in Latin because it's one that doesn't exclude anyone. If we really want our Latin programs to be inclusive, I think finding ways to be game changers uh, is really what we're all about now. The communicative approach focuses on actually communicating, so Dr. Z makes it a point not to put too much emphasis on accuracy, but encourages his students to have fun with the language. But one of the challenges for any language teacher today is that many parents and older adults remember language classes that were not fun. Almost every person in a district or every legislator 
across the United States who was in a position to make critical decisions about language programming did not have the same experience that we are trying to provide our students today. We stopped thinking about what we think we want the language to look like and rather allowing the kids to really be able to communicate. Mim, I was surprised to learn that Latin is one of the most frequently taught languages in the country today. Yes, and depending on where in America you live, it's often the third or fourth most commonly taught language. That's true in Massachusetts, where Dr. Z teaches. And I had a conversation with Sherwin Little. He's the executive director of the American Classical League. They have a placement service for language teachers, and he told me there are not enough Latin teachers to fill all the openings. No kidding. In 2017, they had 300 openings and couldn't fill them all. Sherwin said there are schools that have to close their Latin programs because they don't have the teachers. Well, I know we're facing a shortage of language teachers in general, and I see that includes Latin. Dr. Z says his goal is to help students see more deeply into our history. I'm not teaching you to speak Latin just for the sake of, of speaking Latin. I'm doing that so that people can think about their own world in a new way. To follow up on this idea, I traveled to Wilmington, North Carolina to interview one of America's most well-known public philosophers, a former Notre Dame professor who has made his career speaking to business groups and writing best-selling books like True Success. His name is Tom Morris. For some reason, I was just drawn to Latin because I think even as a kid, I'd heard that it was fundamental for English and so many other languages. And I've always had this kind of detective sensibility. I wanted to dig down and find out the real story behind English. Tom started studying Latin in the seventh grade and continued all through high school. And then I did a year of, of medieval Latin at Chapel Hill with a famous medievalist. That's the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where Tom did his undergraduate work. And then I did Greek, uh, a year of Greek, which was a lot of fun, too. Tom went on to get his Ph.D. in philosophy at Yale and wrote many scholarly books before turning his attention to the public, an effort that included writing the book Philosophy for Dummies. I sat down with Tom in his home office, which was lined floor to ceiling in books. Why should anyone bother to study these languages today? There are still things yet to be discovered. I mean, we, we haven't fully mined yet all the nuances of these great texts that were written in Latin or written in Greek. And Steve, Tom says some of those nuances found their way into the beginnings of this country. The Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, out of many one, is the motto of the United States. And the choice of Latin by the founding fathers, rather than English, was deliberate. We had a chance to start afresh, but rather than thinking we had to make up everything from scratch and reinvent every wheel, we wanted to draw on all the great traditions that came before us and put things together in the, what we considered to be the best possible way. Now, as we know from the realities of history, it's been a struggle since day one. And yet with those overarching abstractions, e pluribus, you reverence and respect the plurality. Unum, you reverence and respect the unity. I, I can understand why studying Greek and Latin was very useful for you as a professional philosopher, as a public philosopher, yeah. mm -hmm. but why should the ordinary 
person who's not planning on becoming a philosopher bother? Well, I think it helps every, anyone who studies um, these ancient languages becomes a better thinker and a better writer and a better speaker. And what job can you think of that you don't, that you don't have to think, write, or speak to do that job well? Picture for a moment. It's late afternoon at the historic Roman Forum, the former hub of social, economic, and political life in ancient Rome. As the lowering rays of the sun brush softly against stark columns in solemn temples, three dozen young men and women, their smartphones on silent, quietly gather on the steps at the Temple of Concord. They stand in a circle. One by one, they recite, in Latin, the words of the great Roman orator Cicero. So the particular guy I'm thinking of was a very polite and rather formal gentleman from, I believe, from Texas. And he spoke in a quiet but rather matter-of-fact way. But in this moment, he just sort of came alive. And there was a, a vigor and a intensity about his Latin and his presence that seemed sort of special and remarkable. Everybody just went wild. There was cheering, cheering him on. It was almost like he had been possessed by the spirit of Cicero himself. That's Jason Petticone, a classicist with a Ph.D. from Princeton, Jason is the co-founder and president of the Paideia Institute. He not only takes his students to Rome, but to a Rome of 2,500 years ago. It's how the Paideia does Latin, taking students out of the classroom and back in time to when Latin ruled. There's a way in which speaking a language gives you a sort of ownership over it. Mim, since you're a self-confessed word nerd, tell us what Paideia means. It's the Greek word for education. Jason said he chose it because it suggests that education is an experience that invites a certain childlike wonder. So, Steve, can you guess what English word comes from paideia? Mm, I give up. Pediatrics, which of course is the treatment of children. Well, that's pretty cool. And much like Tom Morris, Jason finds Latin to be useful in enriching the powers of thought. A lot of deep, powerful thinkers, he says, find their community through Latin or Greek. Classicists are like the Navy SEALs of the humanities because, you know, Latin, learning Latin and Greek is really, really difficult. They're really rigorous languages. They have a, a lot of different endings that you have to learn and the grammar is really hard and it requires really intense, rigorous practice to learn it. You know, the Navy SEALs are considered elites, and sometimes so is Latin. But Jason's Paideia Institute is breaking down that very perception about Latin being exclusive. One way they do this is through a literacy program that uses Latin as a way for children to become more conversant in English. And these are not children who come from privileged families. Latin is also often seen as kind of an elitist Thing that only uh, certain types of people have access to. And so by bringing it into these non-traditional communities, uh, we've been able to open a lot of people's eyes to the history of the ancient world. And we've seen some pretty amazing results in terms of their reading level. this program, Jason brings Latin to underserved schools in cities like New York. 
He told us about one little 10-year-old girl who was in Paideia's literacy program in Brooklyn. She spoke Spanish at home. Then some magic happened when she realized that English and Spanish were connected by this ancient language. And the look on her face as she realized that connection for the first time, and also the fact that she knew Spanish made her really good at Latin. And it actually gave her a leg up. The joy that she felt in that was, was pretty remarkable. But how exactly do these kids make a connection that weaves Spanish and Latin and English together? For instance, the Spanish word rey, which means king, comes through in the Latin word rex. And so in English, when you see the word regal, which might be a challenging word for a 10-year-old, but the word king is a very straightforward word for a 10-year-old. They can make that connection, and that can be very exciting. What does Jason say about Latin being dead? Latin isn't dead. It's undead. It's a zombie language. I think that if Latin has a chance of surviving, it's going to be because of people like Edward and other great Latin teachers that are out there. Jason was talking about Dr. Z, Edward Zaro. Mim, do you remember your Latin teacher? I remember her very well. And even though we didn't do rap, she was wonderful. In fact, we probably had the only PG-rated toga parties in the high school. So I credit her with giving me what I think is one of the special powers of Latin. Which is? I understand new words in English much better when I know their Latin origin, because so many English words started off as Latin. It's one way of coming to a word or a language. So now that I'm learning Spanish, Que padre. I've used the same technique, but in a different way. I'm not searching for a Latin origin to the word, just the origin. Give us an example. Well, I was having trouble remembering the Spanish days of the week. Miércoles, for example. Wednesday. Yes, but once I learned that the words for many Spanish days of the week originate with the names of the planets, I could remember them. Miércoles derives from Mercury. So suddenly, the word made sense to me. And from what we've heard from our guests, that's not the only power of Latin. It's as Jason and Tom and Dr. Z said, Latin encourages a certain way of thinking. And there's also what Sherwin Little at the American Classical League said, that you never know where Latin might take you. One of his former students does sculptures for the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he credits his work to his Latin classes because they talked about art and sculpture. So let's return to the opening of the show when Dr. Z's student, Sam, whose Latin took him to the Vatican in the hopes of speaking Latin to Pope Francis. Well, Sam went bearing gifts. He took a T-shirt from the school's Latin club. He had the T-shirt with him. He was in a room with the Pope, and he greeted the Pope in Latin, got the Pope's attention. The Pope stopped what he was doing, came over, and they had a very brief conversation in Latin in which Sam gave him the T-shirt and the Pope, and as they're, as they're discussing this in Latin, the Pope actually said, uh, mihi, like for me. And Sam says, sic, tibi, yes, for you. But then the Pope, to clarify, breaks out of the Latin and says, for blessing. And Sam says, minime, tibi, no, for you. Sam stayed in Latin and said, no, for you, handed him the shirt. He said, gratias, uh, gratias maximas, ago, mi fili. 
That's an amazing story. So, Mim, you're such a fan of Latin. Do you have a t-shirt with Latin on it? Well, not yet. But if I did, it would pay homage to Chet, our barklingual mascot of America the Bilingual. And it would say? Well, bear with me on the pronunciation. It would say, Qui mea mat, amet et canem meum. And the translation? Love me, love my dog. (laughs) I will buy one, or maybe two, for me and Chet. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by Mim Harrison and produced by Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Check out the rest of our cast at americathebilingual.com, including Carlos Plaza, Becky Rankin, and especially our barklingual mutt, Chet. Please visit americathebilingual.com for photos and background materials relating to this episode. The title theme music for the America the Bilingual podcast with a Creative Commons attribution license by Kevin McLeod. Check out some of our other episodes and articles as well. And we'd love it if you'd like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on a bilingual America. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.